Hi, this is your host, Nisa Harris, and you are listening to Shomea Ve'ona Tehillim and Other Hebrew Text Podcast, episode 50. It's that time for the special other text episode, and the following is the recitation of the brachot said before lighting Hanukkah candles. After the recitation, stay tuned to hear more about this festival of lights and the brachot. I will be reciting the blessing with the same pause format, but this time with my family tunes for the bracha. Please do ask your rabbi if this qualifies as kol isha for you. Light the shamash or helper candle and then recite the following brachot while holding the candle and you'll light by Hanero Talalu. Barach. Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Aulam Asher Kiddushanu Bimitzvotav Vitzivanu Lehadlik Ner Shel Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam She'asa Nisim La'avoteinu Bayamim Ha'heim Bazman the following is the Shehechianu Bracha. So if this is the first night that you are lighting, you say this. Otherwise, you skip ahead to Hanerot Halalu. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehechianu Vikimanu Vihigianu With Hanerot Halalu, you will start to light the candles either during or after, depending on your custom. Hanerot Halalu Anachnu Madlikin Al Hanisim Hanerot Halalu Kodesh Haim 
אין לנו רשות להשתמש בהם, אלא לראותם בלבד כדי להודות ולהלל לשמך הגדול על ניסך ועל נפלאותך ועל ישועתך. מעוז צור ישועתי לך Shut up.
Kerots, Komat, Berosh, Bikesh, Agagi, Ben, Hamedata, Vene, Haita, Lo, Lefach, Ulemokesh, Vigavato, Nishbata. Hanukkah is a holiday established by our sages to commemorate a battle won by the few against the many and a blatant obvious miracle of enough pure olive oil for one day lasting eight days. A few logistics before I delve further into that. Regarding lighting the menorah, we arrange the lights on the menorah preferably in a straight, even line so as not to confuse onlookers about the day you are representing. Ensure that there is enough oil or candle wax for the lights to burn until half an hour after nightfall, or if the lighting after nightfall for one half hour. On the first night, set one candle to the far right of the menorah. On the following night, add a second candle to the left of the first one. 
And then if you have the means to do so, add one light each night of Hanukkah, moving from right to left. After you light the shamash or the helper candle, light the candles each night, light the newest, so leftmost, candle first, and continue lighting from left to right. So again, we add lights to the menorah from right to left, like you are reading in Hebrew. While we light from left to right, like you are reading in English, the Gemara in Shabbos, Daf Chaf Aleph Amud Bet, goes into great detail further on the specifics of why and how and what Hanukkah is. And we are obligated to do and what we are obligated to do for this special holiday. I started to look into how historians view the holiday of Hanukkah. First of all, because I realized a backdrop would be helpful to gain perspective, but also if we are always so concerned with making a Kiddush Hashem or positive impression as a nation, then we should probably know how we have been doing thus far. (laughs) So bear with me while I review a historian's perspective of the facts that led up to the holiday of Hanukkah. First, we need to understand the stark contrast of what Jews had been used to before the Greeks took over. I would compare the laws in the days of the Persian Empire before the Greeks take over, set up much like states today have individual laws in the USA. Each divided area had its own law of the land. Jerusalem and Judea had what historians refer to as ancestral Jewish law for a nice long while where anyone living in or were simply from those areas would have to abide by the laws of the Torah during the Persian rule, allowing Jews to live Jewish lives wherever they were. Fast forward to the Greek rule with Antiochus IV, who in an attempt to unify all the districts, issued a decree that everyone not only had to follow the Greek law, but also had to give up their own particular customs and make everything unclean and profane so that they would forget the law and change all ordinances. And if they did not, it was punishable by death, according to the book of Maccabees. One thing historians emphasize is that there were many Jews that were happily and seamlessly willing to adopt the Greek culture into their lives. It's important to note that just prior to this Greek decree, Jews had already started to have an exposure within Jerusalem itself when a corrupt Jewish priest instituted a gymnasium with the cultural naked Greek sports with many Jews not thinking twice before taking part and assimilating to the introduced culture. Antiochus's rule had included rededicating the Holy Temple to the Olympian Greek god, Zeus, an important point for us to hold on to for later. Masisyahu, part of a small group of Jews who did not agree with taking on the Greek culture as their own instead of Judaism, starts the revolt and his sons and about 6,000 men flee to the mountains so they would not have to eat the impure Greek food and form a rebellion army led by Judah the Maccabee, who pursued these lawless people, is what the historians quote from the book of Maccabees, and they would start to kill anyone who was not abiding by the law of the land in Judea, namely the Torah law, 
to be clearer, essentially starting a civil war amongst the Jews. The Hashmonai family scored many military victories, and in that time Antiochus IV dies and was succeeded by his son Antiochus V, who issued an edict indicating that they heard that the Jews do not consent to the previous decree of changing to Greek customs, and the Jews ask that their customs be allowed and therefore their temples should be restored to them so they can live according to their ancestral customs. He rescinds the edict of his father and allows Jews to go back and observe their laws and take back their holy temple and rededicate it back to the God of Israel. And it is this event, the cleaning out of the holy temple and rededicating it back to Hashem, that historians understand is why we as Jews celebrate Hanukkah. After this, the brothers of the Hashmonai family succeeded each other over uh, ruling over the land for the many years to follow, not always seen as the fairest rulers by historians. Okay, let's unpack some of this. I'll admit, I was ignorant of the fact that there was a Jewish civil war going on in the Hanukkah storyline. Also, there is no mention of the olive oil lasting eight days from the historian's perspective. Not too surprising. Only the rededication, which is the meaning of the word Hanukkah itself. The historical viewpoint is not the one we seem to pass down from generation to generation with these points of detail highlighted. Why not? My husband pointed out that the Torah is not meant to be a comprehensive book of history. It is a book of religious truth. The Torah, Hashem teaches us important, life-guiding, spiritually connective, and religious lessons meant to unify and bring closer us closer to a relationship with God. Can you figure out historical events from the Torah? Sure, but that is not its main goal. Similarly, when the rabbis instituted Hanukkah as a Jewish holiday, their objective is really more concerned with the important religious message. With this understanding, we can look closer at the blessings that we say for Hanukkah and some of the reasons given behind them. For the Sha'asanisim Bracha, there are opinions that understand that if you only light but do not recite this Bracha that acknowledges the miracle that happened, then you have not completed the mitzvah. Then there's Hanerot Halalu Kodesh Hain, also in that vein recognizes that these candles are Kodesh, holy. Actually, the Gemara goes on to explain that the candles themselves are not holy per se, but rather separate and meant to be set aside. And we don't have permission to use them. We can only observe them. Then Shehechianu Bracha, the first time you light, acknowledging that you have arrived to this point and kept these commandments. These are all huge lessons that the rabbis, in what I personally view as their God-given wisdom, are trying to teach us. Why do we have to recognize this miracle of the lights lasting and the few fighting to win back the ability to serve Hashem in order for it to count as fulfilling the commandment? And why do we have to publicize it and perform it when people are walking by? Because pursue Nisa. Did you ever stop and think 
what that means exactly. It's regularly translated as publicizing the miracle. However, Nisa Esther is my first and middle name, which can be nicely translated as hidden miracle, named after two of my grandmothers, Alejandra Shalom. And this translation has always guided me in life to focus on the hidden miracles that Hashem places into our everyday lives. However, there are other meanings to the word Nisa, for which after researching for this episode, I finally understand I will no longer think of as negative. Nisa also means to try or a test or a banner or sign. The second bracha itself, I would venture to say, seems like it's a test in self-control and introspection as we are told to be internally still while the candles are lit observe and not use them for anything else other than focusing on what they represent. What we are meant to publicize on Hanukkah is that year after year, we are choosing to show up to this point in time and try to rededicate ourselves to Hashem, even with doubts we may have or persuasive alternatives. The rabbis focused on the positive light within a dark time. They focus on the fight won by the few against the many, not just the many Greeks, but the many Jews who were being easily swayed to forget their heritage and connection with Hashem. They focused on a group of Jews who, you should know, technically didn't need to have pure oil for the first rededication, since they were all in a state of impurity themselves from fighting, etc., but searched until they found because they so badly wanted to show Hashem that they wished to connect back to, back with him on a deep, sincere level and found that one pure jug of oil. The rabbis therefore instituted a holiday that would serve as a symbol that holds so much more meaning behind it than any factual historical series of events could convey alone. A symbol that provides a banner reminding us that even though we might go through dark times from external or internal forces, and even though we might be tempted to stray from our relationship with Hashem, others felt and feel the same way. But if they focus on the hidden miracles every day, are able to rededicate themselves to getting back on a path to reconnecting and staying connected with Hashem, and then Hashem will meet you there. I saw a cartoon that said that the real miracle of Hanukkah is not that the lights lasted for eight nights. The real miracle is that the light has lasted for more than 2,000 years. So when you look at the lights this year, try to understand and internalize the depths of what they are meant to stand for in order to see if you are as close to that connection as you need to be. May we all be able to rededicate ourselves with renewed inner strength and clarity to forging a closer relationship with Hashem. May we be able to see blatant and hidden banners that exist in our daily lives that serve as signs for ways that we can reconnect and or stay connected. The learning for this episode is an honor for those that need help getting to where they need to be. May they be able to clearly recognize that all the steps they have taken thus far, good or bad, have helped them form a closer relationship with Hashem and brought them closer to their potential.
please stay tuned until after this quick break. If there is an episode that you would like to sponsor, or if you have any questions, please email me at nurseNisa1, N-U-R-S-E-N-I-S-A, the number one, at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to join the Facebook group to be aware of upcoming episodes. Please subscribe and share. Thank you for joining. Thank you.